Isaiah chapter 42, just want to read some of the opening uh, verses here from verse 1. The prophet says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not feel, nor be discouraged. Till he hath set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth bread unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness, out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare, before they spring forth, I will tell you I will tell you of them. Verse nine will end our reading tonight. We know the Lord Himself will add his own divine blessing upon the reading, his precious word. When men achieve some great feat, they're prone to make a whole song and dance about it. They seek the applause of others and the desire to make those that great feat widely known is very much the spirit of this generation. But the words, men and women, of Matthew 12 and verse 16 are the very opposite when it comes to Christ himself. That verse simply says this, he charged them that they should not make him known. It reminds us in the following verses that they were a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah was to write. A passage where it states as we have read tonight, he shall not cry nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And it's where the words of that prophecy mentioned in Matthew chapter 12 come from. That I want, you to, I want to draw to your attention even this evening. And even in the context again we see the great contrast there is between the ways of men and the ways of God. It scarcely needs to be said that man is a failure. Many have proved that, that the arm of flesh will fail. It seems that that's the very thought. If you back up into chapter 41, verse 28. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them. And there was no counsellor that, when I asked of them, could answer a word. It seems that God, as aware, is looking. And he cannot find one who is able to give that counsel that is needed. And there's one to whom God does direct our attention to in these verses. Words that we can identify as referring to the unfeeling Christ. And what a blessed reflection that is as we come to the end of this year. I want you to notice our attention 
Please note verse 29 of chapter 41. Behold, they are all vanity, their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. God looked at man. What is seen is but vanity. There's nothing but emptiness. Their works are as nothing. And failure is root over them. And therefore all the more reason why we should not look to man for our hope. We shouldn't look to man for our encouragement. You see, God lifts our vision higher here. And when you go beyond the chapter division, you're shown the one to whom our attention is to be, looked, uh, is to be upon. For verse 1 also begins with behold. Behold my servant. There never is a season. There never is a time when Christ is not worthy to be the subject of our attention. Never a time in which Christ should not be the subject of our contemplations. When you and John the Baptist said to the crowd by the river Jordan, is something that stands for every generation. Behold the Lamb of God. Give attention to, give notice of this one. He's the one to whom we are to look to. He's worthy to behold every day of the year. Not just at Christmas time. Not just at Easter time. And no more so when it seems that the dark clouds of discouragement are above us. That the temptation or sin abounds. You look to man and you'll be discouraged. Hopes are dashed. Look to man and all around is failure and vanity. And knowing that to be so, then so much more do these words stand out. Behold my servant. This is the one whom is raised up, not by the world, but by God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one to whom our attention is to be fixed. Because he ever lives to plead for his people. He ever works on behalf of his people. Don't forget that having finished the work of our redemption on the cross of Calvary. The Savior ever lives in the office of his great high priesthood. He is ever present. He is our only mediator. He ever lives and prays for you, for me. That work never ceases. That begs us not merely to think of Christ as he walked upon this earth or even those very few short years of his earthly ministry, but he's still living at the Father's right hand. He is one who's exalted. He's one who has been glorified. Our hopes and our assurances are not fixed in a Savior who's dead or buried, but in one who's alive, one who liveth in the power of an endless life, one who lives forevermore, and therefore the exhortation is valid where God says, Behold my servant. Tell me, have you known discouragement this week? Then behold him. Have you known a time of traversing a dark valley? Has there been sorrow in your heart as there are in many hearts these days? As the Lord says, behold my servant. Have you been anxious about the work of God that maybe you've put your hand to? And God says, men and women tonight, behold my servant. Are you anxious about what the future has in store for, for you or for your family in 2024? If God tarries and spares us. And God says, behold my servant. 
You know, really it's the same command that is given by the apostle in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I suppose we really should read verse 1 to give you the context. He says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with touch so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I believe the scene there, or at least that which has been betrayed, is the Olympics. And you know how uh, in the Olympics there's the running and so forth, but there's the great cloud of witnesses. There's the stadiums today that are full of people looking upon the athlete or the sports person on the field. And uh, there's the great cloud of witnesses. And he has just shown you a great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. It's called the great chapter of faith. And it is as, well, as it were the button has been passed on and they've finished their course, they've run their race. And now we are to run the race. And how do we run it? Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him. Isaiah puts it, Behold my servant. Paul says, Consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Is that where our attention is this evening? The Lord just gives us a little reminder. Behold my servant. What about his testimony? The child of God, redeemed with precious blood, there's no greater incentive needed to look to Christ than the very fact of what he has done for us. Mere creatures of Adam's fallen race. But if you're in need of that little bit extra incentive then consider his testimony that we find in verse 4. He shall not feel nor be discouraged. In Christ is one who shall not feel nor be discouraged. That couldn't be said of any other person. We couldn't get over the first words never mind get to the second part of it. You'll understand that this testimony stands for all time. He is infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. And so are his attributes. And the rest of the verse indicates such. For it says, He shall not feel nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Uh, he shall not feel nor be discouraged. In other words, it could be said the end of time is in view there. And Christ is depicted as the judge of all the earth and the judgments of God's holy law shall prevail and that will be in time when there shall be the gathering of all the people unto him. He come the first time to Calvary to redeem his people. He's coming again the second time to gather up all his people unto himself from the four winds of the earth. And they set up his kingdom. Not one soul for whom Christ died on the cross shall be missing on that great day. Why? Because he shall not feel nor be discouraged. 
Not one soul for whom Christ was a surety and their substitute shall ever be cast away. Why? For he shall not fail. Not one soul for whom Christ shed his blood on the cross shall ever be in hell. Why? He shall not fail. Nor be discouraged. The Lord shall not rest until there's the new heavens and the new earth. For he has said, Behold, I make all things new. He shall reign over all mankind. He will not rest until he has subdued all his enemies under himself and put down all spiritual wickedness which we have at present in this world. You know, at times when we may look around about us and we wonder, I'm sure you do as I do, you wonder, will things ever be any better? And we have the seeds of doubt and we have the seeds of unbelief in our hearts. But men and women, take heart tonight. For whatsoever Christ has undertaken to do, he shall not fail, nor be discouraged. And thus this old world is waxing worse and worse. But he has said, Behold, I make all things new. The tree of creation. He, of course, is the co-creator with the Father. And even John brings that out in the opening of his gospel. All things were made by him, John 1 and 3. Without him was not anything made that was made. He spoke the world into being. And all was very good. But especially so with salvation. For he came to do the Father's will. That meant him leaving behind the glory that he had with the Father coming down to the scene of time, taking into union into his divinity, our humanity. Being born in that lowly place, living an obedient life, that meant one day laying down his life on that cross, paying the punishment and the wrath of a holy God that was due for our sin. His cry from the cross is, it is finished. It proves, the, and it is a, the validity of our text tonight. Spoken over 450 years prior to, in the time of Isaiah, to his death on the cross. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. And you know, child of God, you can say that this year. As I can, the Lord hasn't failed. The Lord hasn't been discouraged. We have failed. I have failed many a time. But he never faileth. You and I prone to be discouraged. I, even though some of the greatest prophets that we read of in God's word were to do the same. Elijah was a man of prayer. Elijah knew how to pray. He prayed that it might not rain and it rained not. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain. But in case you think that he was some sort of uh, superhuman, James reminds us that he was a man subject to like passions just as we are. And if you want a wee glimpse of, of proof of that, just go home and read 1 Kings 19. And there was a fear and there was a discouragement in Elijah and he runs and he gets into that desert place and he recognizes that I'm the only one that's left. Lord, take me home. My work is done. Why was he discouraged? He's discouraged because if Israel didn't turn, if Israel's heart wasn't changed at the sight of God revealing himself in Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets and the other 400 being slain at the brook Kishon, then what was going to turn the people? 
has so overcome. He wanted the Lord to call him home. God had to reveal himself to him. That he still had a work to do. But in Christ there's no discouragement. And he shall not be discouraged. He shall accomplish every jot and tittle of God's divine purpose. And of the eternal degrees. And because he shall not feel nor be discouraged. Then that's all we need for our encouragement. I just want to close with a wee note on our confidence. When you read these words of testimony. Can we be confident that they will remain true? Christ has not failed nor been discouraged in eternity that has passed. Neither was he when he was upon this earth. But what confidence have we that he shall not be in the new year? And to get the answer, just go back to verse 1. For there you will note that Christ shall not fail nor be discouraged because he is God's own servant. Behold my, my servant whom I uphold. God has the angelic beings which serve him. They're at his beck and call. But of the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, he can truly be called by God, my servant. Philippians 2 verse 7, He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He is that perfect servant, fulfilling the will of the one who sent him. He could say himself in John 8 and verse 29, He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I again suggest there's no one else who could say that, only Christ. I do always those things that please him. We look, take a little review of our year that has passed nearly. I'm sure there are times we didn't please the Lord. I didn't. But Christ could say, I do always those things that please him. He who left aside the glory with the Father to become the servant of man. Do you think he will feel in the very purpose for which he did this? God's own servant shall never fail. He shall not fail nor be discouraged because, verse 1, God upholds him. That, as it were, introduces us into the counsels of the Godhead. The picture there is taken from the Eastern Court. The Eastern Court, when a monarch was in procession, he was seen as he walked to lean upon a favourite courtier. It indicates one whom he honours, one whom he shows special favour towards. And so it was, if you like, with the Father and the Godhead, the Father leaning upon Christ. 
counting upon him and trusting him to fulfill all his purposes. Tell me that being so, can he ever fail? The one whom God hath appointed as the heir of all things, Hebrews chapter 1. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. Verse 1, because he's the one whom God hath chosen. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect. He's the most choice one. He is that living stone. That's the language of Peter. Let me just read it to you. 1 Peter 2, 4. To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And he goes on to say, ye also as lively stones or living stones. So there's a great building and view there, a great edifice. And Christ is that chosen stone. And you and I are the living stones built on him. For there's no other foundation than that which is laid. Shall the one chosen of God ever fail or be discouraged? It's impossible. And further to that, to that, not only chosen, but it is in Christ that he says, My soul delighteth. The greatest delight of God is in Christ his Son. He said on different occasions, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He said that at his baptism, it was noted again on the Mount of Transfiguration. How then would it be possible for one whom God has chosen to fulfill the work of our redemption. And the one in whom his soul delights so much. How could it be that he would fail in this work. Or become discouraged. It's impossible. You know we could go on. The Holy Spirit indwelt him. In his fullness. And there are the shalls that are found in those opening four verses. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry or lift up his voice to be heard in the street. He shall not break the bruised reed. Thank God for that. There's times we feel, I'm sure, like just the bruised reed. <coughs> Never really see the bulrushes these days. I suppose young people maybe don't even know what those are. But behind our home place was an old wet place, an old marsh. It's still there. Still is wet too. But if you walked over some of the ramparts in it, you'd often find the bulrushes. But an old bulrush with a head hanging over, not much beauty about it. And there's times we're just like that. It's like a bruised reed. But he doesn't snap us off. And you know, we're sometimes just like the smoking flax, but he doesn't quench us out. He shall bring forth judgment unto the truth. He shall not fail. See all the shells there in those four verses. It's really the, the same as what we find in, in Psalm 2. Uh, Psalm 2 in the words of verse 7. It says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces 
like a potter's vessel. For the shell's there as well. When God decrees a thing, it shall be done. For no word of the Lord shall ever fall to the ground. These are the reasons why we have such confidence that Christ will not fail us, nor be discouraged in what lies before us. Like the Shulamite could discern in her beloved, there's none like him. That's really I want you to focus on as we leave 23 behind. Just get your focus on God's perfect servant. There's none like him. Daughters of Jerusalem, they could ask her in the Song of Songs, chapter 5 and 9, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? What's so different about him? And what follows, of course, is a description that puts him head and shoulders above any. There's none like Christ. He is altogether lovely. And men and women, he who saved us with his own precious blood, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. Bless his name. Therefore, dear child of God, take heart with that. Take encouragement with that. There's your confidence as we go forward. Men will fail. Preacher will fail you. But he shall not fail. Nor be discouraged. I trust it is encouragement to you. May the Lord bless even those few words for our consideration tonight.